You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Democrat Attorney General Dana Nessel is seeking a special prosecutor to look into allegations that Kalamazoo lawyer Matt DiPerno stole voting machines in his quest to investigate unsubstantiated claims of election fraud. A.G. Nessel is recusing herself from the investigation since DiPerno is the presumed Republican nominee for Attorney General. Investigating her own political opponent would be a conflict of interest. DiPerno addressed the allegations on all talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. Let's just say the Attorney General's race in Michigan between incumbent Dana Nessel and the likely Republican nominee Matt DiPerno just got a bit more complicated. Dana Nessel has been investigating Matt DiPerno for several months. And Kevin, he says that, listen, Dana Nessel is using her office to prosecute a political opponent. The weaponizing of political offices from the FBI to the state attorney general. People are asking questions. They're wondering if law enforcement agencies are doing their job or have become extensions of the political party that is in charge. Mar-a-Lago, where Donald Trump lives, was raided last night by federal officials. Is this an attempt to get evidence against Donald Trump? Or is this an effort to get more votes from independents by making Republicans look guilty? The question is, are our elected officials trying to sway elections with misinformation and bogus investigations? Or are they doing their job? If they're not, if they are trying to sway elections, is that not election fraud itself? And should they be questioned? Should they be investigated? Joining us now is Matt DiPerno, Republican Secretary of State nominee. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you've been accused of being involved in a conspiracy to get access to election equipment. You have said that you believe that Michigan is weaponizing political offices. Tell us why. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. This is what Dana Nessel's doing is she's uh, weaponized her office to attack a political opponent. Uh, everything in her uh, so-called petition that we've looked at is total garbage. Uh, she knows it is. She's been apparently investigating me and others since February when she knew I was her uh, political opponent, yet she never disclosed that she had a conflict. Um, and here's what we know right now. Uh, we know uh, that Dana Nessel thinks uh, that the election integrity issue only resonates with less than 50 percent of the population in Michigan. But we also know that about 80% of the population care about Michigan's high crime rate, the fact that we're now number 10 in sex trafficking, the fact that we have fentanyl coming across our borders, killing children and destroying families. We have MS-13 gangs in Michigan. People care about high inflation. They care about high energy costs right now. Uh, they care about our failing education system. And they care about the fa fact that she wants to put drag queens in every school. Uh, but she doesn't want the media talking about any of that. So what she's done is concocted this story, which she leaked to Craig Mauger three months before the election, because she wants the media and everyone else talking about this and not about her failing uh, record as an attorney general. And, they, and she doesn't want people talking about how she's the most corrupt attorney general in the history of this state. They're talking about acts that may or may not have taken place back in 2020. Uh, we're now 90 days out from the election. From a legal standpoint, should this have, if there was something there, should it have hit sooner? Or could it just be that this is the timing as the legal case played itself out? Well, this is the 
perfect timing in a political setting for Dana Nessel to come out with something like this. It probably should have actually come out uh, later, but what we also know is this week uh, we have our county conventions for the Republican Party on Thursday, and we have uh, the state convention on August 27th. So what Dana Nessel is trying to do politically is cause uh, some type of uh, a problem within the Republican Party. She wants people talking about me. She wants to discredit me. Uh, that's her goal. Um, and she doesn't want to talk about the fact that back right after the election, you know, she was the attorney uh, against me in the Antrim County case. We actually showed her evidence and Jocelyn Benson evidence. And I put this up on my Twitter feed this morning of machines that were actually uh, had their security tape removed during the election, were broken into during the election, and they said, not a big deal, we don't care, safest, most secure election in the history of the country. Now they seem to want everyone to believe that they have it, they care about what happens to machines after the election. It's completely preposterous what she's doing, but she's doing it entirely for political reasons. And not only that, she's using her office as, in the, as the attorney general funding this case against me through taxpayer dollars through the attorney general's office to help her campaign. That is an illegal campaign finance violation. That's what we should be talking about. Um, but we're not talking about it. We're talking about Matt DiPerno, and she's trying to discredit me. That's her goal. Liz, if you don't mind, uh, since this is kind of the news of the day, let's get into this case just a little bit here. Uh, the, the accusation is that these machines, these tabulators, were illegally obtained and they were broken into. So I guess, number one, were these machines obtained illegally and were they illegally tampered with? Well, if you look at her petition, the, 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 it's obvious right from her petition that the answer is no. Michigan is a home rule state. What that means is local precincts, local counties have autonomy to do what they want. And in this case, these are machines that are owned by local precincts. Mm. Um, and as the petition clearly lays out, uh, these clerks allegedly uh, gave permission to people to look at the machines because they had concerns. That is not unauthorized access. That is the very definition of authorized access. Okay. Yeah. Well, so Dana, let me ask you this, because Dana, Dana Nessel's campaign, his, her senior advisor, Jeffrey Timmel, told you that you could expect to be arrested by Dana Nessel in public at the start of any debate they agreed to. In fact, that, that would be part of the official terms of an agreement to a debate for Nessel to arrest you. That was an official campaign response to a debate request. Now it looks like she's trying to do that, even without the debate agreement. Do you think she would be after you if you were not running for her seat? No, I don't think so. I think this is all um, a, a big problem for her. She knows that I'm winning. Uh, recent polling shows DePerno with a plus one advantage against Dana Nessel, an incumbent who right now is suffering with, with a 42 percent uh, low approval rating. She knows she's got problems. She knows she's losing this race. So she's trying to create media buzz about me, trying to uh, discredit me. And, and I tell you what, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, um, you should look at this and say, 
We have the attorney general weaponizing her office against a political opponent using taxpayer funds to do it. That should terrify everybody in this state. Mm. Um, That is a terrible thing. It totally discredits her, in my opinion. It shows she's not fit for office. Uh, So... And, you know, and yep. these are the reasons we're going to win in November. We're, we should make it clear that we put a request out to Dana Nessel as well to talk to us about this, yet to respond to that request. We appreciate you joining us. Matt DiPerno, Republican uh, 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 nominee for Attorney General. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell had to move to the newly drawn 6th District to continue serving the cities that made up the majority of her current district. The 6th District covers Canton, Northville, Novi, Dexter, Chelsea, Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, Flat Rock, Brownstown, Riverview, Trenton, and Gross Hill. Congresswoman Dingell talked to Paul W. Smith about the newly passed burn pit legislation. I always love talking to Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. I get yelled at by people. Oh, you're not rough enough on her. Well, I won't be because we're lifelong friends. She's like um, my second little sister. Uh, and, uh, and we can disagree without being disagreeable. I've learned that art a long time ago. And I will continue to practice that art when I invite someone to be on my show. So if you're expecting me to be yelling at Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, I'm going to let you down again. Congresswoman, always a pleasure. How are you doing? I hope you are healthy and wealthy and wise. How can Maureen hold up you? It is great to talk to you. I had my last jaw surgery last Friday, so I do sound a little weird. I can't open my jaw, but I want everyone to know I'm still very capable of making noise when I need to. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, nothing's going to keep you from making noise <laughs> and being heard. I got to tell you the truth, though, and I'm always, I try to be always honest. Um, when I saw you on television with the president signing whatever the heck he was signing. It doesn't matter. He just signs things all the time and hands the pins out. God bless him. I know I'm just kidding about it doesn't matter. He's got the chips thing. He's got a lot of stuff going on. But I saw you standing right there, and I saw your mask on your wrist, and I thought, Debbie has got to be going crazy. Now, why do I say that, Congresswoman Dingell? Because the president couldn't stop coughing, into his hand. Then he pulls out a hanky or Kleenex and starts wiping his nose. And then he hands, he sticks out his hand and starts shaking hands with everybody. And I can't imagine what you were thinking at that point, knowing you the way I know you. Well, I did wear, you'll see pictures I just posted yesterday. I was at the White House again yesterday and quite frankly, Paul W., I cried. Veterans PAC bill is something that should never have been political ever. And we can we can disagree with each other and be civil, but we should never have played games with the health of our veterans. One of the veterans from Michigan that I've worked with for a long time, who quite frankly broke down in my arms and cried several years ago, um, said to me, and he was on oxygen yesterday, part of the story. But I never took my mask off. That's where I'm going. I did. We were inside, not outside, and I refused to take my mask off. But he looked at me yesterday and he said, finally, if I die, my wife and children will be okay. I can die at peace. Oh, God. Yeah, I cried. I cried right there. I was so happy, one, that he was there to celebrate this moment. But there are things that should never, ever 
ever be political. And that was one of them. And it was just, there were two very different moments. Yes, I wasn't happy. I was the only, Mike Duggan was at the White House on Tuesday, and he goes, you know, I think you're the last one standing that hasn't had COVID. And I don't want that to be a curse. So. <laughs> we spoke with Mayor Duggan. He said, uh, other than the coughing and, and such, that the uh, the president, he thought, looked good. I mean, let's face it, when you have, uh, he's had some a couple of good weeks. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, people tend to look good when things are going well, and uh, things are going well. And by the way, um, I should say, you have a, a guest uh, column in today's Detroit News under the headline, Inflation Bill Would Boost EV Outlook. You probably could not hear this, but earlier um, we had Jim Farley on talking about the big deal between uh, Jerry Norcia and Jim Farley and Ford Motor Company uh, to cut carbon emissions. They just made the largest ever renewable energy purchase through a utility in all of the United States. They have uh, purchased additional solar capacity from DTE's My Green Power Program. And, you know, if it's good enough for Ford, it's going to be good enough for other companies that are going to step up and do the same thing. And in line with what you were writing about in today's Detroit News, um, the EV outlook. And it, the EV outlook is very positive for Ford Motor Company at this point. Um, I, so I don't know if you heard him earlier, but I wanted to point that out to you. There's a couple of other quick things. How are you doing with the rain? I, I understand you had like four inches of rain in two hours in Washington, D.C. Oh, the streets are flooded, but the good, I'm staying with friends because, I mean, I know nobody would really fit. The instructions from their doctor were to do nothing and not speak for a week. And everybody should have put, you know, a significant money in on my ability to ever do that. But... <laughs> We all knew it wouldn't happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, I was with friends up on a hill, and uh, I am smart enough to stay with somebody post-surgery and not be by myself. Good. Uh, people have been, uh, you know, it's had damages, but we have rains in Michigan. I was monitoring that because I still represent Dearborn, and they get really hit by these waters. And, you know, these rains are a result of global climate change. There, nobody can deny that. And we've got to make our sewer systems and our water systems more resilient. It's really real. So it's one of the things that I'm very, very, very focused on. And I'm proud of in the infrastructure bill, the water provisions are provisions I introduced. Well, I, I'm glad that you're also paying close attention because our water supply is so very important. I don't even want to go down that road. There's wars will be fought over our clean water. That's down the road. But that 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 an employee at a plant at a at a Wixom automotive supplier Tribar Manufacturing could actually override the waste treatment alarms 460 times late last month, allowing a toxic spill into the Huron River in Oakland County. I am glad you're all over that. I am so angry. Uh, and look, I think it's time for the people of Michigan to wake up. I, you really like it. I mean, this is like unacceptable. We have to go after Tribar. And the fact of the matter is the state of Michigan doesn't have laws that are strong enough to hold them accountable on many fronts. You know, we can't already eat fish in the Huron River because of the release of PFAS four years ago. I still remember this man in his 70s and such a good man. And he got up at a town hall and he looked at me and he said, 
I eat that fish. When am I going to be allowed to eat that fish again? And I didn't have the heart to say to him, probably not for the rest of your life. That's tri-bar, and they've done it again. And EPA has more authority. We have to make sure that people think. It's first, the good news is it does not appear to be traveling as fast, and it does appear to be being contained to some extent, but we need these no-contact orders. I'm very worried about it not traveling down the Huron River to Ann Arbor's drinking supply. Brian Stiglick, the director of Ann Arbor uh, Water, is doing everything that he can. But this is serious. I'd like to use a word I can't use on the radio, but we got to hold these people accountable, and people in Michigan should say to their legislators, Get stronger legislation. I, and I'm on it at the EPA. Level. I know you are. Quickly, uh, former Marine, once a Marine, always a Marine, Michael Murray from Hillsdale College, thanking you. He has asthma from his time around burn pits in Iraq in 2006. So he really thanks you for what you've been doing, Congresswoman. Got to run. God bless you. Feel better. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Congresswoman Dingell was back on WJR Friday, this time with Guy Gordon. Wanted to uh, take note of the fact that on Capitol Hill right now, the uh, so-called Inflation Reduction Act is facing a vote in the House. Uh, It is expected to pass without any Republican votes, and then we'll go on for President Biden's signature. There is a lot in it for Michigan. Uh, There's also some taxes that may impact Michigan and some things that were added in the Senate that could be uh, problematic for our auto industry. We want to get to the bottom of all of it with Debbie Dingell, our uh, U.S. Congresswoman from the 12th District and uh, running in Michigan's new 6th District. And Debbie's had a little surgery, so she probably is not going to sound quite like uh, she normally does. Good afternoon. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm doing okay. I may be down. I may not be able to move my jaw, but I can sure make noise. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, I'll be the dummy on your knee, and I'll move my lips, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I know this is, is going through the House right now. Typically, when things come over from the Senate, they aren't always passed as drafted there. We know the price tag was originally somewhere in the $700 billion region. As it's gone through the process in the House, have there been amendments? Have there been add-ons? I know Maxine Waters wanted more money for, for low-cost housing. Um, is the price tag the same? It is the exact same bill that passed in the Senate. And I want to make it really clear. This is not adding to the deficit. This is reducing the deficit. And groups, the balanced budget groups, have all been praising this. This yeah. bill is going to do a lot of good things. It's going to invest in it's reducing the budget by having billionaires pay their fair share and corporations pay their fair share. There's one analysis that says a lot of those corporations are in Michigan because we are so heavily invested in manufacturing. Is Are, are those taxes going to hit harder in Michigan than most states? Is it going to we put us done. at a competitive disadvantage? You know, I am someone that works very hard to protect our manufacturing every day. And I'm really proud. I put these things in there. There, This bill has investments in both the advanced technology vehicle manufacturing loan program, uh, the domestic manufacturing conversion grant program. There are a lot of tax credits in there to help bring the supply chain home, build up our resiliency, bring those jobs back. And so it's it is a very good thing. It's going to help. I'm not going to secede our leadership in transportation to any other country, especially China, Japan, India. We're going to keep it here. And this bill is going to keep us at the forefront of innovation and technology. Yeah, but didn't Joe Manchin kind of screw things up with all these extra restrictions and domestic sourcing 
uh, requirements that he put into it. It could knock out 75% of the current EVs and make them ineligible for those credits. I, I know that Debbie Stab and I was concerned about it, and I assume that you are too. What can be done about that uh, so that it actually delivers and, and what the auto industry had hoped for? Okay, so I spent nonstop the last couple of weeks talking to everybody, and it's complicated. The fact of the matter is Joe Manchin is right. We do not want to increase our dependence on China for anything. And we're already 80% dependent on China right now for the batteries. So, but, but, you know, General Motors Ford have put out positive statements about this bill. They did not ask people to oppose it. They asked if they support it, and the UAW supported it. Those first couple of years are going to be hard. But, Guy, I'm putting together a mineral table like the one we had last year with the environmentalists and the unions and the OEMs that found us standing together in the White House last summer. We have to help build that ability to mine those minerals here, not be dependent upon other countries. We have to make sure that these vehicles are going to be affordable for everyday Americans, that it's not a luxury car. The first mm-hmm. couple of years are, are going to are going to pose some challenges for the industry in the short term, but it's going to strengthen the long-term trajectory of the automotive industry and our supply chain. So, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but if we got problems, we go back at it. Yeah, I, I just think you're going to have some disappointed consumers when they go to buy that EV that they've had their eye on and they've become invested in it, and then they realize that they're not going to be eligible for that tax credit, that there's going to be some frustration there. Um, when, when, you, when you look at this, for instance, the Medicare um, prescription drug negotiating part of this, that doesn't take effect until 2026. So there's a lot of benefits that are going to be further out in the out years. But it does cap out-of-pocket costs for seniors at $2,000 a year max. Is that perhaps the most immediate and most tangible benefit that our listeners will experience? Yeah, I think it is the most tangible. We're going to, the cost of insulin will be capped for some. Unfortunately, the Senate stripped out monthly insulin being capped for people who had private insurance. Uh, but no, you want to know what's going to be immediate? That, you know, everybody's, a lot of people thought the Affordable Care Act would be the end of the world. And actually, it has increased people's ability to get and have access to affordable care. And this bill is going to mean that when you go to the exchange, you're still going to be able to afford your health insurance. That will be, people will be going to the exchange in the next month. This ensures that as well. You, you talked about the paying of the fair share and that this is going to fall the, the, you know, on the 150 corporations that don't necessarily pay as much tax as, as they would have because of a lot of, of uh, deductions and credits and things like that. But the CBO just released a report on this bill today saying that $20 billion in new taxes is going to come from those making less than 200000 in income. Doesn't that violate a Biden campaign promise? And are those people... Aren't they already paying their fair share? I need to look at the study, so I haven't looked at it, Guy. Obviously, I want to make sure everybody uh, is treated fairly. I do know, I have seen this, that CBS 7 middle-class families will not see their taxes raised by a cent. So, you know, I, 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 you're ahead of me. I'm looking at what was exactly written there. But I, I think we should ensure that corporations and the ultra-wealthy contribute their fair share and not do it in the backs of working men and women. 
And that's who's, you know, when we had the tax cut a couple years ago, it was middle class Americans who didn't see themselves helped out and the wealthy who were helped and contributed to the deficit in this country. Well, and you, you mentioned the deficit, and yes, I, I had the folks on my show from the, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, and they scored this, and they think it will generate $305 billion in deficit reduction. But the one thing that they did show is it's going to be 2026 before that def- net deficit reduction occurs. So that means that it's going to add probably another $17 billion to the deficit in the interim. Isn't that inflationary, and doesn't that undermine the title of the bill? So, no, I think in the long term it's going to reduce inflation. They That's probably one of the most concerning. Well, in the long term, but we're, we're worried about now. We're in the inflationary. I don't believe that it's going to contribute to the inflation cost. Gasoline is continuing to decrease. I hope it does stay down. I don't make promises I can't keep. Gasoline prices are continuing on a downward trend every single day. I think we're at 56, 57, 58 days. That's probably well, the sixth biggest day. drop in history. Yeah. Yeah, so, but it's still not where I want it to be. But you keep working at this every day. You know, it, 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 this is a big, significant difference. And, Guy, you tell me one thing the Republicans want to do. I, I mean, they like to make take the shots at us and tell us we're not doing it. But, you know, Monday's the, the anniversary of Social Security. They want to either eliminate or privatize Social Security. That's not the answer. It's really easy to take the pot shots. It's not easy to actually get the work done. Well, I, I guess all I... I guess all I want is some truth in labeling, uh, Debbie. And if it says Inflation Reduction Act in the first five years, it doesn't. Then uh, I guess I, I wish they would change the title of the bill. And I know you didn't name it. I, I, I've, I've got to let you go. And I understand, you know, I, I know your voice isn't what you want it to be, but you still sound good to me. Okay? Thank you, guys. All right. We'll stay, keep talking about this because it does matter. It really yeah. matters. Republican Congressman Tim Wahlberg, running in the new 5th District of Michigan, which runs from one side of the state to the other from Kalamazoo on down, kicked off the week on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz, where he discussed the Senate passing the Inflation Reduction Act. The so-called Inflation Reduction Act went through the Senate. It next goes to the House of Representatives, which it's likely to pass there, probably come to a vote later this week. Um, I saw something interesting, Kevin, over the weekend after so many outlets and, of course, Democrats themselves calling this the Inflation Reduction Act. A lot of news outlets are now describing it for what it is, whether they realize it or not, a tax and spending bill for climate change initiatives and the like. Yeah, Tom, the $700 billion tax and spend package, hey, it's a big win for Democrats who promised to tax the rich to save the planet. The $360 billion in climate change spending, the reduction in prices of prescription drugs, the reduction of debt by $300 billion is what they're promising, and it's what uh, they said they were going to do. Where's this money supposed to come from? The Democrats say, don't worry about it. It's just coming from the rich, people making over $400,000 and those big greedy corporations that need to pay more in taxes uh, to make sure that they collect all this money. Uh, basically, a tiny army of IRS agents is going to be hired to get out there and do the collecting. Joining us now is Congressman Tim Wahlberg of the 7th District. Good morning, sir. How are you? Well, good morning. I'm, I'm mixed. Uh, it's a good day for me. Uh, being alive and having something to do that's important, but it's a bad day for America seeing what took place. And I think what you just mentioned, Kevin, about uh, an army 
uh, of IRS agents. 87,000 additional IRS agents could be uh, could be purchased, if you might say, and funded uh, with $80 billion that's in this bill. And that would make the IRS a larger component than the entire Pentagon. That ought to scare you because already the Joint uh, Committee on Taxation, which is a nonpartisan entity, has pointed out that the majority of those 87,000 new IRS agents will be sicked upon middle-income and upper-income people, but the upper-income people are small in comparison. It will be the middle-income class that's most challenged right now by inflation, deficit spending, and the like in their lives. Uh, they're the ones that are going to feel it and uh, get ready for it when it, when it, uh, when it becomes law. Well, and, and the poor are going to feel it probably worse than anyone because inflation hits the poor harder than it hits the middle class and certainly harder than it hits the rich. Uh, when you look at when they say that, uh, you know, only people over four hundred thousand dollars in corporations are, are going to pay for all of this. Uh, do do the corporations really pay for this or do we end up paying for it? You asked the key question. I don't get why Democrats are unwilling to admit the truth is we pay for it. You can tax uh, businesses all you want. You may even tax some out of business. They just can't keep on. Uh, But who pays for that? It's it's the consumer. We pay for it. Uh, You know, the drug, so-called drug relief that's going to come. If this this law or this bill was in place uh, last year, uh, it would have kept 104 new cures from happening because of the inability to do research and development of those special um, uh, pharmaceutical products that are saving people's lives. That's what, what's going to happen from this legislation that supposedly will re- re- reduce the cost, uh, doing it artificially by mandates, and take away. And you know, I, I want to say this really quickly. I'm, I'm not a big fan of just protecting big pharma. But I I am a big fan of having resources that no other country has that we have, including Canada. 56% uh, of the drugs we have would not be in Canada uh, because their policies. That's what we're going to right now. And if the world doesn't have the pharmaceuticals and the development that goes on because we're putting an arbitrary cap on what can be done and, and taxing the whole infrastructure that produces the good things, we're going to miss out a lot, and the world's going to be impacted as well. So this all sounds good as a deficit inflation reduction bill, when in fact it's an inflation increase and deficit increase bill because all it's done is to increase the opportunity to spend. And I believe, as you said, the most limited income person, the poorer class, are going to be paying exponentially higher than others. And uh, ultimately, that's what Democrats want, more people under the control of government so we can control society in the way that they want it to be controlled. You know a lot about energy, and I want to ask you this, because one of the tax increases is on imported oil. Oil, taxing oil, when it comes into this country, won't that just be passed on to consumers, which will in turn continue to raise the price of gas? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, we have an administration that stops us from producing oil. And, and the research and development that goes on, the exploration that takes place, and then he takes a, a, a carbon-fired jet over to the Middle East to plead from Saudi Arabia for, for oil, and now they're going to tax it when it comes in. What in the world is the nonsensical nature of all of that? Uh, when, in fact, you look at the, the tax that they've got in there on natural gas. 
Mm. How did we clean up our atmosphere? How do we clean up our uh, our universe that surrounds the United States to be the leader in the world, leader in the world for reduction uh, in, in, in greenhouse gases and carbon emissions? And we're going to tax that entity that made us so clean, as opposed to saying we're going to keep doing what we're doing, not hurt ourselves anymore, and expect China and India and other countries to use clean natural gas. We're going to tax it? You've got to be kidding. And, 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 and most of this that they put in this legislation doesn't really take effect till about 2026, when, hmm. hopefully when they're out of office and out of majority. And we're going to have to clean that up. But bottom line, there is no relief coming. And I want to make it very clear that in this coming election and in 2024 election, watch uh, truly how they pivot, what they have said now about what this is going to do, when in fact the American people are not going to feel the impact that's positive that the, the Democrats have pushed for. This is simply a philosophical policy shift that they want to get done, which destroys the greatness of America. And you just have to go back uh, two years now and see what we were paying for gas back then, uh, how many uh, products we had on the shelf, uh, the jobs that were there, the jobs that were coming back from overseas, manufacturers putting sites back up in the United States and returning from other countries when we were doing the right thing and saying America first, other countries make your country first, but we're going to make America first and we're going to do it on our own. And uh, it worked. And now we've seen nothing but crisis since uh, Joe Biden took office, and um, and what this is going to do is make it even worse for us. And it, it'll be a, it'll be apparent. And America still is not caught with the lies that are being put out by my Democrat colleagues, because the number one, two, three concerns in this country right now: inflation, the cost of gas, and every other thing they buy at the store, including groceries, and the border crisis that's going on with human trafficking and drug smuggling that's coming and impacting our communities. Yeah, no question. And, and objective economists will say this does not bring down inflation. If anything, it goes up and the cost of living will go up as well yeah. um, on a number of factors. I want to go back to the prescription drug thing one uh, for one comment here, because there's no question that pharmaceuticals, these companies make billions of dollars in profit. Um, the insulin companies make a lot of money as well. How are they? How do we address that issue? Because it's clear that uh, prescription drugs are overpriced. Um, in in this case, how are the insulin drug makers not the bad guy? Well, they are the bad guy to some degree, um, but they're allowed to be the bad guy by uh, the, the, the bureaucracy, the regulatory climate that discourages competition. Yeah. Um, I think even the Democrats saw they they pulled it from the bill. Uh, the reduction, uh, mandatory reduction in insulin, because they saw what would happen. They'd reduce the number of suppliers mm. for insulin, and you wouldn't have the insulin anyway. So we got to continue working on that. But I think it comes from affording more competition, more opportunity, uh, maybe an operation warp speed for insulin and other other products that we absolutely have to have because of the impact upon millions of people in our society. But uh, even the Democrats saw they couldn't do that by an automatic mandatory cap because you'd lose uh, the opportunity for people to have and then the cost to the taxpayer the general taxpayer to make up the difference uh, in, in what it would take to have the few companies that to produce this um, it would be exorbitant to the to the nth degree 
Yeah, competition is key. It's, for, uh, it's, it's the way the markets work best. Agreed. Uh, Tim Walberg, Congressman, we appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much. Republican Congressman Bill Hazinga is running in the 4th District on the west side of the state that covers from Holland to Marshall to Benton Harbor. He weighs in on the Inflation Reduction Act on The Guy Gordon Show. But as this travels from the Senate, where it passed by the skin of Kamala Harris's teeth, uh, to the House, where it may face some significant amendments, I would think, on the part of Republicans. Let's turn to our good friend, Representative Bill Heisinger, from the west side of the state in the 2nd District. Hello, sir. Hey, Guy. How are you? Sorry, I uh, I was supposed to call in a couple of minutes ago. I'm literally out mowing my lawn. <laughs> it's been, well, been I... too long after the <laughs> primary. I was able to actually... <laughs> Good help is hard to find these days. Teenage boys, nah. They, they, so I'm doing it myself. So it's uh, well as, as long as long as you pay yourself the prevailing wage. That's the that's, that's the thing I'm most worried about. Yeah, somehow or another, Mrs. Heisinger expects me to work for free on this one. So you know that's 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 okay. While we're discussing that. Um, There are all kinds of uh, climate goodies here. There are all kinds of tax credits for consumers. Uh, By one estimate, uh, a family that's looking to uh, insulate their house or put solar panels on it could save upwards of $1,800 a year. But for the big projects, the big green energy projects, you do have this prevailing wage thing. Is that not in and of itself going to drive up inflation? Uh, of course it is. All of this is, Guy. But, hey, what's another $700 billion among friends? I mean, we put our kids and our grandkids in debt so far this much to the tune of trillions. Uh, and, you know, I guess when you're a tax and spend liberal, that's what you know how to do. And here's, here's my frustration with this. Uh, you know, at the beginning of all this, when we all agreed that the Paycheck Protection Act and a number of other programs needed to go in place because we didn't know what was going to be happening with COVID and then the pandemic, um, that uh, that that was a bipartisan approach. Uh, this has been one party that has just decided we can't spend enough. And and in this in the ensuing almost two years now, uh, here's what we've learned. Economists have come forward and said, look, this spending is inflationary. This is helping drive the prices that we are all feeling at the gas pump, at the grocery store, and the, you know, trying to get back to school, uh, buying school supplies for our kids, automobiles, all those things. And we have shifted uh, from an unknowing position uh, to now uh, we know what those effects are. So, and this is spending uh, not out of ignorance, but frankly, out of malfeasance. This, this is spending that people know is going to be inflationary, but they don't care. But there, okay, so there's an inflationary cost to this, and as I said, if, if, if Congress was subject to a Truth in Labeling Act, you would be in violation of your own laws yeah. here, right? And not you specifically, obviously. But when, when you look at this, these folks will say, hey, there's some good things here in Michigan. We've got an EV tax credit. The cap is going to remove. That's good long term for our uh, for our automakers. Uh, Cinema did manage to uh, spike the uh, some of the. Uh, onerous consequences by allowing for accelerated depre- uh, depreciation from manufacturers um, on the cost side. But this other tax that replaced it, it's going to be a tax on buybacks. We've also got increased IRS enforcement. They're going to double the amount of agents in the field. What will the cost be to consumers with that? Because we've got the Democrats who promised not to raise taxes on anybody that was making under $400,000 a year. Yeah. Well, we know that's not true right off the bat, right? The Joint Joint Tax Committee 
uh, has said this is going to affect people down to $200,000, which is still, don't get me wrong, a lot of money. But you look at how many small businesses, uh, whether they own a, a, an auto parts place, a, a plumber shop, uh, a, a pizza restaurant or two, um, what they take in and what they have to pay taxes on isn't necessarily what comes home in the paycheck, right? Because they're reinvesting into their own businesses. And what we know now is that with 87,000 new IRS agents, this will be larger than the FBI and Customs and Border Patrol uh, combined. Uh, and uh, I, I just wish I just wish the Democrats would have as much emphasis on patrolling the southern border as they would like to patrol taxpayers. But um, that's a that's another call, I guess. But it, it is going to reach down into those middle class and upper middle class families uh, and uh, that they don't care. Right. I mean, this is uh, this is just going to be uh, a one two punch when you've got inflationary spending going on. Uh, plus uh, these small business owners that are going to have to go in and deal with some very onerous uh, IRS uh, uh, investigations and things like that. And by the way, they can shut you down, flat out shut you off from society if they would like. So you have to comply. Well, and, and I, I think that the, uh, a number of economists have, have made a, a pretty good analysis here saying, look, um, rich people can lawyer up. They can be very, uh, they can be very effective at, at uh, litigating these things. Smaller businesses yeah. can't; they can't afford to do it, and so they're going to settle, even if they may feel that they're in the right. And so this will yeah. trickle down to small business people and the upper middle class, and maybe even the middle class as well, because it's the low-hanging yeah. fruit for the IRS. Yeah, absolutely. And, and don't get me wrong; everybody needs to comply with tax law. However, when you can't get uh, two CPAs to agree on what the tax law uh, means, plus when they both call into the IRS, they'll each get a different explanation of what the rule says and what it means. Uh, that lack of, uh, of clarity and the ambiguity that is in the law creates mm -hmm. these situations where it's interpretive, right? And so now you are going to have uh, the interpretation automatically fall to the IRS, and, and you are guilty until you prove yourself innocent. And yeah. that that is the kind of, of stifling effect that we're going to have on this economy for small and growing businesses. Republicans in the Senate spiked the cap on insulin prices. And, and this was something that originally I think Republicans and Democrats agreed uh, for those. The, the, I think one million uh, diabetics we have in the state of Michigan, one in 10 Michiganders has, has a problem with diabetes. Not all take insulin, but it's a, it affects a lot of people. And yet there was going to be this cap on costs. What do you say to folks? Is that something that could be restored in the House? Why shouldn't it be restored? Well, my, my understanding is uh, that it is there for for uh, for the federal programs. It's just the private insurance, private pay that uh, that it was excluded. So uh, that uh, that that I believe is a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison. But we're we're trying to dive into what all those details are. And hey, look, I like uh, like almost everyone probably listening knows somebody or has a family member who's diabetic or pre-diabetic and has to deal mm -hmm. with uh, these medications, right? And uh, But it leads to a greater conversation, which is, are we just going to pick off one disease, one problem at a time to, to, uh, to remedy our health care system, or are we going to actually go in and try to deal with those, uh, uh, those outrageous costs? And some of that is uh, linked to yeah. uh, litigation and, you know, the supply chain. There's all kinds of issues that deal with it, but 
this is not a very effective way to, to pick off one uh, health issue at a time to go through and, and try to uh, regulate it by the federal mm-hmm. government. I, that Understood. just to me is not going to be successful. It's, it's a big one, though, and, and one that may deserve some further review. Uh, Bill Heisinger, thank you so much. We don't want the, the lawn to grow any longer. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll send you back. Bad. I'll, 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 uh, we'll I'll send you a pick there, guy. We'll, uh, we'll, let, you, we'll let you judge. But we'll hey, send you back. Coming on. And we appreciate having you. We'll, we'll, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll send our best to Ms. Isaac and hope that maybe she can give you a bump in, in uh, compensation there. You take care and, and be well. Republican State Senator Lana Tice made headlines earlier this year for inflammatory accusations. She hurled against Democratic State Senator Mallory McMorrow in a fundraising email. Senator Tice is running for re-election in the 22nd District, which covers Fenton, Holly, Howell, Heartland, and Brighton. She went on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz to speak out against the American Federation of Teachers, helping students change their pronouns without parental permission. Is language an act of oppression? Is it an act of violence when you say something somebody doesn't like? We are hearing more of that in recent months when it comes to gender fluidity and identity and inclusion. So, for example, in a public school, if one particular day a child wants to use a specific pronoun that's different than on a previous day, if another student or a teacher does not use that pronoun accurately, there are sometimes they are sometimes accused of violence and hate speech that they are trying to eliminate the student. And that's somewhat of a premise behind the American Federation of Teachers, the union that represents the majority of public schools, which now has introduced a gender inclusion card to be given to students. And on that card is a question for the student asking them if they would prefer that we don't tell their parents about their new pronouns or about a new and changing gender. And that, Kevin, obviously has a lot of parents very concerned about the direction that public schools have been taking. Yeah, Tom. Kids are being asked, what do you want to be called in class? How do you wish to be identified? Teachers are being ordered to use those preferred pronouns, and when they fail to do it, their teachers are getting written up. And the survey card by the American Federation of Teachers asking if the school can use these pronouns when they call home to talk to a parent, that's really concerning. If kids are serious about this issue, parents should be involved because parents need to be involved to make sure that the child is getting all the support they need. Joining us now is Lena Tice, State Senator, Michigan's 22nd District. Good morning. How are you, Lana? Good morning. I am well, and thank you so much for bringing this topic up and for inviting me on your show. Yes, I I know a teacher uh, really well who tells me he feels kids have been empowered by this pronoun identification issue, and they, they use it as, as a weapon. They, they, they'll change how they want to be identified week to week, and then they have teachers written up when they make a mistake or, or get it wrong. And, and I'm told that the school day for teachers is becoming less about teaching and more about teachers just trying to stay out of the principal's office. I, I mean, how concerning is this if, if this is actually going on statewide and not just specific to this one teacher that I talked to. Well, you bring up a very good point. This is fundamentally about parental rights, and it's part of a teacher's union attack on the parents' rights across the country. This isn't unique to Michigan, and it's been going on for quite some time. This is the topic du jour, and it's a huge problem, but we need to look at what it is that's actually behind all of this. And this is the unions believing that they know better than the parents for what should be happening to these children. And the idea that a, a, a 
child could walk into a classroom and 10 minutes later be giving information that wouldn't be provided to the parent that is a um, that's a flag for heightened depression, heightened anxiety, heightened suicidality. The first call that should be made is to the parent so that the parent knows what they can do in response to where their child's at, what what issues their children might be having. It, it is um, it it is structurally unsound what it is that they're trying to do. And you're right. It puts the entire institution at risk. But the fundamental premise behind it is removing parental rights. We see that with the with the ballot initiative that's coming up. They call it reproductive freedom. But what it does beyond increasing access to abortion up to the end of natural uh, pregnancy is is to remove parental rights for all of this. You, no longer do parents have a right to prohibit their children from having life-altering drugs or life-altering surgeries. All of that is wrapped up in this. It's part of a much larger, far left agenda where they're trying to inculcate these kids with these ideas and remove them from parental oversight in the process. And more than half the parents in the space, I've talked to quite a few Democrats that have huge issues with this. They want to be able to interact with their children, to have full knowledge and access for the issues that their children are having so that they can help to correct it. But for a union to believe that they know better than the parents should offend every single parent regardless of their political ideology. Yeah, pa- parents should be on high alert. But my understanding is teachers don't like this either. So who is the union representing? If the parents don't like this and the teachers don't like this, do they just think that it's more important that parents' rights be taken away than the teachers be able to have the best uh, possibility of teaching kids? That appears to be what they've been doing for the for decades. But again, this is the topic du jour, and I agree with you. This is a problem for our institutions. They be across the board. It's become a problem. But the parents need to be given these rights, and the unions need to represent the parents too. Well, so we hear a lot about privacy, right, and, and the protection of one's privacy. And schools are promoting that, they say. that That's kind of what's behind why they don't want to tell the parents, because a child's gender is a private matter. So, so then aren't the schools, in actuality, the ones who are violating privacy rights, getting in between a child and their parents and determining on their own what's best for someone else's kid? So I would believe them a little bit. If, if they actually evidence that anyplace else. But when you look at their history, every single time they're tearing into the rights of the parent, they're getting between the parent and the child. They're saying that they know better than the parent what these kids need to learn, what they need to be taught. Uh, mysteriously, it's not arithmetic or reading. It, it, it's about ideologies that more than half the parents disagree with. So the, the idea that the unions should have more authority and priority than the parents is fundamentally wrong. And it's it also, if you go back 20 years, there has never been a time where when a child was believed to be at risk, the first call wasn't supposed to be to the parent. Right. Remember how we couldn't even give them aspirin without right. parents bringing it in? Right. There's There's a distrust somehow for some reason for all parents, it seems. You know, and a reason for this issue this introduction card that they're they're putting out there a reason that's often cited is that if we don't use whichever pronoun a teenager wants for that day or maybe a little child not just a teenager then we are increasing their chances of suicide if we don't use that pronoun is there any evidence that that is in fact the case it's actually 
evidence that these kids who have a a higher suicidality rate, a higher anxiety rate, a higher depression rate are more susceptible to move into that space. But the tests as to whether or not they um, one was causative, those are not conclusive at all. Yeah. It's the susceptibility of a child who is at risk and a child who is at risk. Their parents need to be told about that. They should they probably already have an inkling, but any sort of this needs to be the parents need to be informed so that they can take measures to help protect their children. But right now, the unions are saying, no, the parents shouldn't need to know. And they're they're holding the teachers hostage. You know, on this card and in relation to it, there's this belief that that the American Federation of Teachers is supporting that and they are encouraging teachers to use that some students are born with two spirits, two different souls. And one of them is male, one of them is female and that same student and that they were simply born that way. And they're teaching kids that this is a possibility that they might have two souls and two spirits. How do they know that? Is that scientific? What's not scientific is that if if that were true, it wouldn't change from day to day. (laughs) So, again, there are a lot of issues, but the deeper issue with this, the deeper, this is just a symptom of what's going on in our education institution right now. And it's that the unions are trying to break apart the family unit. They're trying to break apart the relationship between the child and the parent. And the parents need to be involved to be aware of everything that's going on with their kid. And when this sort of thing is happening in their school, they need to be pushing back. There's there's no way that a teacher that has had uh, two hours worth of experience um, should should be reacting from something like that with with the top down dictate of the unions telling them that they know then they know better than the parent. That That's just absurd. Yeah. Math, reading, science, that should be taught in our schools. And let's just get those figured out first before we do anything else. We appreciate your perspective. As always, Senator Lana Tice joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Uh, phone number is 800-859-0957. It's 1-800-859-0WJR. Republican State Rep Mark Tisdell is running for State House in the 55th District, which covers Rochester and Rochester Hills. He talked to Kevin and Tom about legislation he's working on that would make it easier for out-of-town transplants to obtain occupational licenses. An occupational therapist in Arkansas, and you want to move to the fine year-round playground state of Michigan, uh, it takes a while because there is a process. Well, meantime, the healthcare industry is in a particularly desperate need of workers, not just the 40,000 or so shortage of nurses. It's skilled healthcare workers, Kevin, like occupational therapists, like medical technicians uh, and, and paramedics. Yeah, you talk about uh, Michigan's population declining, people leaving the state of Michigan. Uh, This may be an opportunity to invite people from other states to come to Michigan, move to Michigan, work in Michigan. Uh, If we can get the paperwork, the the red tape moved aside. Mark Tisdell, uh, state representative out of Rochester Hills, is working on that and joins us now. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Uh, Good morning, Kevin, and good morning, Tom. Uh, Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about this legislation that you're working on. Well, it's House Bill 6285, and it's, it's part of a two-bill package, or actually and adds on to um, House Bill 5055 introduced by Representative Brian Posthumus. But it's all aimed at simplifying the interstate licensing uh, process for, for, for uh, my, my bill in particular, 
for emergency medical technicians, uh, medical first responders, paramedics, and emergency medical services uh, instructors and coordinators. And as you indicated, Kevin, you know, in, in the lead up to this, um, uh, you know, Michigan is still among the top 10 population outflow states. The United Van Lines has us as number six. So uh, we do not have a particularly competitive average January temperature, and there's not much we can do about that, but all of the other aspects around uh, becoming a new resident and a new employee in the state of Michigan, particularly the skilled, licensed uh, trades and professions, uh, we need to make that as, as easy and as welcoming as possible. Is there any data or are you hearing that it, there are a lot of people that would come to Michigan or are willing to come to Michigan uh, it, for these jobs if they could simplify the process? I am not familiar with any specifics along those lines, but it's relatively common sense. Um, there, are, there are opportunities for these kinds of uh, skilled, uh, advanced practice professionals all over the country. There are shortages for EMTs, paramedics, uh, 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 medical first responders, virtually everywhere. And so we just have to have an environment here in Michigan that is equal to, or uh, certainly the desire to be better than every other community or state that, that, that these individuals might be looking at. And we do have some, some, um, some opportunities in Michigan and, you know, along increased high tech uh, relative to autonomous vehicles, uh, electric vehicle uh, research and development. And if, if those individuals have uh, spouses that, that fall into these categories, we want to make it as easy as possible for them to come here and, 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 and get up and running quickly in their, in their, in their professions. Yeah, with the labor shortages all across the country, particularly in these trades, these skilled trades really for the healthcare industry, um, making Michigan more attractive to them is going to be really key here. So what would it be? Uh, what would be maybe some of the top two or three reasons you would say to somebody who maybe lives in Kentucky or Alabama or in Utah, say, listen, I know you work there, but here's why Michigan is a better place for you to be an EMT or, or a paramedic. Well, when you look at quality of life, um, Tom, uh, the American Enterprise Institute places Michigan, I think, num I think it's at number 12 or 13 in quality of life overall. Um, and, you know, that, you know, that's, that's up, you know, that, that, that's up at the top of what's available out there. And, and the resources and the natural assets of our state are just, you know, they're, they're globally fantastic. Um, but it's it, but it's interesting if you look at if you look at um, uh, born in population well, we're we're second only to Arkansas hmm. or excuse me uh, Louisiana rather and you know Louisiana's quality of of, of life is rated forty seventh hmm. and we're we're twelve. That, that's a that's very much a, a a disconnect. So there's there's something there's something missing here, and I think this is just one piece of that puzzle. Uh, you've got to look at uh, 
uh, income taxes, total tax burden, cost of electricity, and uh, electricity reliability, particularly for manufacturing businesses. And this is just a, this is just one piece of the puzzle that we can take a shot at, get people that are already licensed in these advanced uh, professional practice uh, careers, and as long as they have uh, you know substantially equivalent requirements that they've met in other states, open the doors and, and let them in here. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, so as long as they're relative in applicable standards with other states, but what if they're not? Um, how, how do you how do you up the ante, so to speak, make the the licensure, if you will, uh, more acceptable to Michigan without this lengthy process and keeping certain standards in place? Well, if there are any deficiencies, again under that. Uh, substantial equivalency kind of header, if there are any deficiencies, outstanding complaints, sanctions that haven't been met, those kinds of things, then you're, then you're back to the, to, the, to the standard and traditional obligations that would have to be met coming in the door. Um, but uh, again, you're, you, you have a license, and typically you're looking at with six months or more experience on the job in another state, it's in good standing. You don't have any unmet sanctions. You don't have any outstanding complaints or issues, particularly related to patient uh, safety uh, and and or negligence issues. Um, uh, you, you should be able to slide right in. Are you getting that, much pushback? That's, push- the, that's, you- the, that's the direction we want to go. It doesn't seem like there should be much much pushback. Are you are you finding you're getting pushback? Well. For every regulation on the book, there's a constituency, right? But um, we, we've not we've we've not gotten a lot of pushback uh, on this to date. Um, uh, Representative Posthumus is a fifty fifty five bill, and then um, Representative David Martin um, yeah. uh, has a sixty two eighty four. I've got sixty two eighty five. They've not been in front of committee for testimony yet, but um, it's just the kind of thing that other states are doing. Other states are ahead of us. Yeah, uh, efforts and 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 I, I, again with the. Uh, some of the natural challenges we yeah. face, uh, we, we can't afford to be behind on any of it. Yeah, House Bill 6285, it's uh, Mark Tisdale, State Representative of Rochester Hills. Uh, we appreciate your time in explaining this to us. Very important. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Well, you're welcome, and I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to the two of you. All right. That'll do it for this week's Pod Suey Election Guide. Keep it tuned to News Talk 760 WJR and thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.